our, our sexy and glamorous life, lugging, <laughs> lugging this enormous book to the, to the post, post office, office <laughs> and writing thank you notes. It, it's it's a big. I was surprised <laughs> when I got the paper copy. Um, it uh, yeah. Well, it, looking for shelf space already. Well, it's funny. Yeah, it's funny with this book too because doing it. You know, no one's getting younger, I think everyone's realizing. <laughs> and so doing a lot of the interviews and a lot of the contributors and stuff for this book, we had people pass away while we were writing the book, after mm. we interviewed them. We have people who, you know, contributed photos and things where we just bought, I mean, we just bought their photo archives from them. There was a guy, uh, Jack Tilmany, who has a great photo collection of San Francisco and dozens of images of all the old Chinatown theaters out there and the Japanese theaters and things. And He's just like, you know, my kids don't want it. I'm trying to downsize. I'm getting older. He's like, do you want to just buy all this stuff? So, I mean, I just cut him a check. But, you know, there's so much of this material out there, and it's just disappearing, you know? So it's mm -hmm. it's really, we're, we're sort of getting in at the tail end before I think a lot of this stuff goes extinct. I mean, the stuff, yeah. there's stuff in the book about Jack Sergal, this LAPD officer um, who ran afoul of... Um, the United States of America, I guess you'd say, um, <laughs> when he was when he was doing, you know, learning judo because his teacher, like all Japanese people were during World War II, was put in a, a concentration camp. And so he would he took over his teacher's dojo and was just taking students up to the camp to get belt certified. And, um, you know, it became this huge scandal, you know, yellow Japs groping American women and all this fear oh, headlines. And wow. he wound up losing you know leaving the lapd and weirdly wound up becoming jimmy cagney's judo coach and actually appearing in this movie called blood on the sun playing in yellow face a japanese bad guy and he and cagney sort of had this mm -hmm. kind of the first m real martial arts battle in american cinema in blood on the sun which is this really long knockdown drag out judo fight but the circle material we got, you know, we were tracking down old students, uh, Sego Murakami, his teacher's grandkids, and we found one of his old students' goddaughters who has a scrapbook that was Jack Sergal's scrapbook that she scanned for us. But, you know, it's an amazing story, but how many stories are there like, mm -hmm. there out, like that mm -hmm. out there that are just, you know, rotting away in an attic until someone dumpsters the whole house, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that that, that is, yeah, and we're, we see that on on disc these days. Often, uh, we're there are interviews from the offspring of the uh, of, of the performers, so, right? Yeah, so I, I think it's yeah, that's just yeah, that's part of aging cinema. That's part of life. Nothing that, is permanent. Mm -hmm. I guess no, that's true. No, this is why I'm like you know not at all in the, what we're going to be talking about today. But I am. I have been working on a book on uh, the actor Frederick March and his his wife, Florence Eldridge. And so I have been like feverishly contacting anyone and everyone who ever encountered him. And I'm finding, um, you know, there's not many of them left. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> yeah. and um, there aren't many. So like every time I see an auction or I see uh, production stills or, you know, Anything that comes up, I'm I'm buying everything I can get my hands on because every time some collector dies or some person that knew him or knew his children, they die. The stuff gets thrown in the trash. So I am uh, I, I know that that uh, that process very well, 
and yeah. it's kind of a desperate scramble to to get it all, awesome. you know. Yeah, and you're going even older than we are. Mm. Uh, <laughs> it's a fool's errand. <laughs> yeah, although although I got to say that Frederick March Jekyll and Hyde is one of my favorite movies. That is just so delightfully right? unsavory. Um, <laughs> but you know, one one of the things too, it's interesting is film preservation overseas is really a mixed bag. I mean, you've got places like Japan where, you know, you've still got largely the five big studios that are still mostly intact. And then you've got Hong Kong, which is, or even somewhere like Thailand, but Hong Kong is sort of a good in the middle where it's a mess. And, you know, <laughs> I think about eight or nine years ago, the Hong Kong Film Archive started accepting donations of movies on VHS and VCD simply because there are titles that the negatives lost, all the film elements are lost. It made it to VHS. Maybe it made it to Laserdisc. It didn't make it to DVD. It didn't make it to Blu-ray. It didn't make it to VCD even. Mm -hmm. So you have movies that are recent movies, movies from the 90s. I mean, I was over there in 2017 working with the Hong Kong Film Festival, and we needed a copy of, of 35 print of a really famous movie called He's a Woman, She's a Man from the 90s, uh, from the early 90s. That was a huge blockbuster with two major stars in it, three actually. No one had a copy. There was not a surviving film element wow. in the original language. We finally tracked one down um, in Wisconsin from a private collector. But that's wild. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that would be like someone saying, oh, yeah, there's no more Shawshank Redemption. Like that movie. Just yeah. said, <laughs> like this was not an obscure movie. And so it's just this stuff goes extinct so fast. So when things like the Bruce Lee box set shows up from Criterion mm -hmm. and has Tower of Death on it, I'm like, mm -hmm. holy fuck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, that's doing the Lord's work there. Yeah. So I, I think let's let's ground this a little bit. Um, I don't people don't know who you are yet, unless they've read the <laughs> description. So um, oh yeah. So let's uh, so we're here to talk about um, martial arts films and Jill. I don't, how much do you have to contribute to this conversation today? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> but I'm I'm here to learn. It's kind of uh, a, a men's club, I, I think. Um, I'm but, sure, but, sure there's some female aficionados. But. I have seen like none um <laughs> but i have seen movies that have obviously been influenced yeah. and um outside of you know like seeing the depictions and films like in mentioned in the book the awful truth uh also there was an episode of the andy griffith show where barney five is taking judo lessons um yeah. and then the flintstones mm -hmm. um you know outside of that i am uh woefully ignorant so I am going to sit back and listen and learn today. I have a I'm secret for you all. Jill yeah. Jill can sometimes be blind and still have valuable contributions. So I, I, <laughs> I don't think you'll be silent. It's true. <laughs> but I do own some of the movies that we're going to talk about today. I just mm -hmm. haven't watched them yet. So cool. uh, that's the curse. <laughs> right. We'll bring you so many things wrapped in plastic said in a very Jack Nance Twin Peaks voice. And um, <laughs> and uh, I keep buying more to join the stack of uh, unwrapped movies. But one day, one day. So you're when we that. die, they will surround us in our tombs, still in shrink wrap. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually not a, not a bad idea. Uh, uh, Shaw Brothers said in Aaron West. 
So Chris and Grady, uh, mm-hmm. so uh, welcome to the show. Uh, Chris Pajali, Grady Dixon. Um, did I pronounce that right, Chris? No. Hey, oh. um, you, you pronounced my name right, but it's Grady Hendricks. Hendricks. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. I'll take Dixon. Dixon's fine too. Yeah. I, I might. I might add. <laughs> We're <laughs> renaming you on the show. The X threw I'm me. So. Dixie Dixon. <laughs> I feel like I'm in. A, I feel like I'm in a trucker movie in the the seven. <laughs> in a way, aren't we all? So let's um, uh, let's hear about you. Um. So Chris, tell us about mm-hmm. your background and uh, how you got into film. Uh, well, I've always been interested in film uh, since like age three when my parents took me to see one of the uh, Disney re-releases uh, of Cinderella. And, and I just I loved being in the theater and like watching movies anywhere when they would play on TV uh, at the time. Uh, network televisions were showing, uh, you know, the, the, the networks were showing movies in the evening, so I would catch up on on the uh, the older movies uh, on television, and uh, yeah, just originally it was the Disney movies that I fell in love with, and then when I was around seven or eight, uh, we moved to Syracuse, and I was at the age when I would start looking through newspapers and looking at the movie ads. And that's when I realized that there were like drive-in theaters nearby. And and, uh, when we had lived in Pittsburgh, I'm sure there were drive-ins. They were just outside of the the city and I was unaware of them. And we didn't have a car at that time, but when we moved to Syracuse, we had a car. And so my parents would take me to the drive-in. And that's when I learned that there were movies that would come to town and just play at the (laughs) drive-in. There were, you know, (laughs) horror movies, exploitation movies. And, you know, and that there were later I found out that there were downtown theaters that would run cool stuff also, like uh, the black action movies and the kung fu movies. And and so I I just uh, got interested in in all types of movies uh, at an early age. My father was a a big fan of Westerns. So that's still one of my favorite genres. I'm actually taking a Westerns class right now. We talked about that on the show, uh, the a show that's not released yet. But uh, I saw you, uh, the searchers on your letterbox, and um, uh, that, oh, yeah. that got a thumbs up from me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so <laughs> as far as uh, film work you've done, I know you, you mentioned, mm-hmm. I think you've done some commentaries, or um, you have a blog? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I did, a, I did a commentary with Grady uh, a few years ago. Um, oh, great. In fact, I think right in one of these offices that I'm in right now, uh, we did a trailer compilation uh, for uh, one of the trailer trauma discs. And uh, we we actually did two of them. Uh, we did one together and then we did uh, a separate one. We, we went by year. I think it was in the 80s. It was a collection of 80s trailers. So I did like 1982. I'm not sure what year Grady did. 85. 85. Okay. Yeah. It was, uh, they had like d- different people doing each year. Cause I know Tim Ferranti did one, Michael Gingold from Fangoria did one year. Uh, and there were, I think like 10 of us. Um, and so I, I yeah, I did some other commentaries. I recently did one for golden needles, hmm. uh, in order to tie in with this book. Cause uh, golden needles is one of the books, co- uh, one of the movies covered in the book. Mm-hmm. Well, glad to meet you, Chris. Uh, Grady Thanks. Hendricks. <laughs> um, I know you've done or a lot. Dixon. You've. <laughs> I know you've written a lot. Um, uh, you've. I, I saw you. Have, I loved. Um, it was a m- surprise seeing that you had an essay in the Shaw Brothers set, and in the um, uh, in the uh, 
the Once Upon a Time in China, but you want to talk about your background, film history? Yeah. I mean, I'm from South Carolina, so I just watched whatever trash I could find at the video store. And I didn't really, uh, really fall in love with movies until I moved to New York. I mean, I liked movies fine, but I moved to New York in the 90s and um, I wound up doing well two things really and, and actually one thing really which is i went to kim's video back when it used to be on saint mark's and second and i met barry long who was a clerk there and barry was insane and he <laughs> used to go down to chinatown and buy hong kong movies on vhs and and it was back when the hong kong companies they would split the movies onto two tapes so they could charge you for two rentals <laughs> Um, and so it'd be like a 90 minute movie, 45 minutes on each tape and Barry would, and they were always subtitled because Hong Kong was a colony, right? A British colony at the time. And, um, by law you had to have subtitles on the movies so white people could, could, could watch them. And, uh, Barry would write descriptions on the back hand written on like post-it notes he taped to the back. And I had, I had seen like, I think. There was a, a kid, the killer, John Woo's The Killer, in a severely edited version that was that Blockbuster had. And I really liked it because I love violence. And um, <laughs> and so I went looking for John Woo movies. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, on film. Um, but, but I went looking for more John Woo movies. And Barry's one of those guys who he stands too close, he talks too much. He talks too fast, but he loves what he's talking about. And like he's he, he turned so many people onto Hong Kong movies. As soon as you entered their Hong Kong section at Kim's, Barry was all over you. And he'd be mm -hmm. like, oh, God, you know, you go, of course you're going down to see this Wong Kar Wai retro down at the Rosemary and blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, hey, I don't. Yeah, I didn't want to decide. I think I was. So I just agreed with everything he said. And I discovered that. Uh, the Music Palace down on Bowery and Hester was still doing double features for six bucks from Hong Kong with new releases mostly. And around the corner of the Rosemary, which was mostly a Cat 3 house at that point, which was like Category 3, which is sort of like the, the softcore porn stuff. Mm -hmm. But they were doing a Hong Kong Y retrospective, and it was right after he'd released <laughs> um, Chungking Express. So I went down and started – my wife and I started going to the Music Palace all the time, just whatever – you know, we, we went down and we saw a double feature of Always Be the Winner, which is a wild uh, nonsense comedy, paired with Love on Delivery, which was a Stephen Chow movie that's amazing. It was he mm. basically plays a delivery boy who falls in love with a girl, but he tries to say karate to impress her, but she falls to the karate teacher. And the whole movie is, is ridiculous. But I, I the, the moral of the movie is he wins by cheating when by cheating and the moral is you can always just cheat better than the other person <laughs> <laughs> I, i'm a little oh sorry oh, I, I was just thinking uh, what, what I, I just imagine somebody expecting a porn movie and getting junkie express and yeah how well and then they... that was the other thing the corner, yeah they're showing you know as they were showing like as they were doing it for like a weekend. So it's like as tears go by, ashes of time, days of being wild, and Chunking Express. And they just showed them nonstop all day for three days in different combinations. So to see all four, you wound up having to see a couple of them twice. And like 
that melted my mind, you know, and then around the corner, I'm watching these ridiculous comedies from Hong Kong at the Music Palace. And so, um, and then I'm going up to Kim's and renting whatever, you know, Barry's recommending it. He wound up writing a book with Fred Danning called Hong Kong Babylon. It was one of the first Hong Kong books. And they it actually, they published a huge excerpt from it in the New Yorker back in the day. There was sort of an intro to Hong Kong cinema. And, um, and then my wife and I wound up moving to Hong Kong for a couple of years. And um, I came back and, and wrote about film and really made an ass out of myself getting everything <laughs> wrong. Um, and wound up starting uh, with some other friends who all, we weren't friends at the time, but we were all kind of the weird, creepy white dudes who went to the Music Palace. And we started this group <laughs> called Subway Cinema that ran, you know, retrospectives in the New York Asian Film Festival over nice. at Lincoln Center for many years. And and so just over the years, I've done some some special features for Criterion and written about it. And then Chris and I, Chris has this massive collection of post ads, and he wanted to do a book. So we wound up doing these Swiss Break Bricks, which just came out uh, on sale now. It is giant. It can stun a small ox <laughs> if it's dropped correctly. It's a weapon. <laughs> It is. It's a weapon of, of tiny, a tiny weapon of miniature destruction. I need it. I just have the PDF uh, that was sent to me. So I need, I need to get this thing. So I have, so I can whack my husband over the head, you know? No, well, I mean, I wouldn't unless you want to give him a concussion, but maybe like a body blow, right? Yeah. Jet Li could take out an entire um, uh, crowd with, uh, with this book. Yeah. <laughs> Jill, do you have <laughs> silence? <laughs> I, was I was waiting. I was waiting. Was that uncomfortable silence? I feel like I just monologued my heart out. I no, that was, that was great. But, was I great. Do, but I do want to say, you know, Barry, Barry actually died about, gosh, 12 years ago. He went in for some surgery, real simple knee surgery, and there were some complications on the table, and he passed away. And, you know, God bless him, because, I mean, really, in the mid-'90s, no one – in the U.S. cared about these movies. You know, these movies were huge in the 70s, after 73, and, and on through the 80s. And then they really died out at the end of the 80s and didn't make a comeback till the late 90s when Jackie Chan and Wu kind of went to Hollywood. But And, and so for, for a really solid decade, if not longer, it was really people like Barry who kept the flame alive and, and kept spreading the word. And I think, you know, People, John Woo wouldn't be directing movies. The Matrix wouldn't have Yun Woo Pink doing the action, all that stuff, if not for people like Baron. He carried the torch yeah. for so long. God yeah. bless the weird. Yeah, I used to see him. Yeah, I, I used to see him when I would go to Chinatown. I, I I remember a few times like going into either the Music Palace or the Rosemary, yeah. and he'd be coming out and heading to the other theater, and it was like, hey, what did you just see? Oh, I saw Green Snake. I'm heading over to the Rosemary to see whatever heroic trio. Um, or yeah. actually, vi vice versa. I think I saw Green Snake at the Rosemary. But anyway, uh, yeah, I, I always saw him there, and and you know, I would go to to Kim's also, and and yeah, I mean, Grady's absolutely correct. He would if you went over near the John Woo movies or the Jackie Chan movies, he came right over and he's like, oh, you're interested in these movies. And uh, he the the manager of Kim's um, at that time was uh, Steve Pachowski, who does Shock Cinema magazine now uh, has been doing it for 30 years. Uh, St Steve told me a story that um, Michelle Yeoh dropped by Kim's one day. And and Barry was like, oh my God, you're you're Michelle Yeoh, and she's like, oh, you know me, and and he ended up uh, going out for coffee with her. 
and, and he, 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 he said, you, you wouldn't believe it. But uh, there's, uh, yeah, Steve told me about it like shortly after it happened. Uh, he was like, oh, yeah, Michelle Yeoh dropped by and, and Barry ended up taking her out for coffee. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm kind of was... like, oh, go ahead. No, go, go ahead, Freddie. Oh no! no I, I was just gonna say, like, I'm I'm kind of like that when I'm lingering over at the on at, for the Barnes Noble fifty off sale, and I see someone pick up a movie, they're kind of eyeing it, and they're not sure, and then I'll just be like creepily come up behind them and go, "That's a really great movie, you should get it," <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? and then they look at me and walk away because it was unsolicited. But mm, yeah. I, I do I, I do love uh, you know trying to spread the word. God bless. God bless weirdos. God bless Barry. Yeah. yeah it, was, <laughs> it was a keeping very it alive. Weird. Yeah. And it was a weird thing. Like, you know, there were people like Peter Chan around the same time who was running those um, cinema village shows where they'd be like, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to show nine Jackie Chan movies all weekend, you know, or like mm -hmm. a bunch of stuff from Hong Kong. Uh, and he'd get prints from, from golden harvest or somewhere and, or pine tree, they changed their name to and. You know, you'd go over, and this was before Rumble in the Bronx. No one knew who Jackie Chan was, mm -hmm. and your face would just melt. I mean, you know, it was the wildest stuff. And there was Frank Lee, uh, the son of Frank Lee, who really was responsible for bringing Hong Kong movies to America in a lot of ways. But his son running the four-star in San Francisco and doing these, like, you know, double features and late night shows and retrospectives and stuff all through the 90s. It's, you know, and then the guys at Tai Sing who were like Frank, Frank Jang and those guys, John Sue and his like putting this stuff out. It was just it's a it's a motley crew that really, you know, was, paved the way for so much. Um and so that was it was nice with this book to be able to like at least in the epilogue sort of name some names and 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 just give little shout outs to people because this is kind of the 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 folk history of this stuff. Like why it's here. You know, mm -hmm. Criterion is putting out police story for a reason. It doesn't just mm -hmm. happen magically, you know. Right. It's history. It's it's yes. part of film. So history. Grady, I um so I never knew that you were, you know, when I found out about this book that you guys were putting out. Um, I know you from uh, My Best Friend's Exorcism, oh, which okay. I read. Um, you know, I know that it's set in Charleston and the surrounding area, but I read it. It was my beach read when the family and I went down to St. Simon's for a week. And so similar kind of vibe uh, down that way, Savannah and everything. But oh, yeah. I just, I just want to say I, I loved, loved the book. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And I also went to Catholic high school in the South. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so there was, a, <laughs> there was a lot there that I was really loving. But I wanted to ask you, um, you know, what what got you into writing stories? And you because know, you've talked about, um, you know, what got you interested in film. But when did you decide to become an author? Um, well, you know, really, it was sort of a... a it happened sort of accidentally. Um, I realized I was writing a lot um, because it's something you could do alone. You didn't need like actors to show up and to make them memorize their lines and things. Right. Sort of the loneliest, <laughs> the loneliest art form uh, <laughs> for people who have no friends. And um, and then I stumbled into journalism, sort of when you could make a living as a freelance pop culture journalist. Yeah. Um, 
in the 90s. Uh, and I was, you know, just sort of around and, and started writing movie reviews and book reviews mm-hmm. for places like The Post and The Village Voice and doing a lot of writing on Hong Kong movies and Asian movies mm-hmm. for a variety and stuff, just because I knew the landscape. Um, and just sort of in there. And then around 2008, you know, I mean, that kind of journalism kind of died. And, um, you know, you people were writing for a byline or, or $12 or whatever. Yeah. And so I really doubled down on fiction right about then and you know I, I have no usable skills except writing i gotta i gotta do something <laughs> here um so yeah that was sort of my tortured weird side door slink in to writing but no i'm really glad you like the book it's it's nice to hear it's uh maybe it's nice that people like that book a lot it's uh that set where i grew up and it's set mm-hmm. in the high school i went to kind of so yeah um it's nice that abby and gretchen are still out there making friends yeah, I loved it. And and I was moved. I was so moved. I mean, it was a funny book. It was scary. Um, but at the end, I was like wiping my eyes. I had a little tear, you know, so was, I loved it. Well, Grady, I, I live in South Carolina. And um, so I, I know oh. that world. Very, I'm in Columbia, but, you know, it's okay. just a, a, a skip down the, to the beach uh, in lots of any direction from here. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I'll definitely pick it up. And I want to talk about your book, but um, I also want to share that I lived in Thailand for a couple of years when I was very young. And um, oh wow! And I, I, I actually, what's weird is sometimes when I see a Thai film, um, I'll it'll I was fluent um, at the time. Uh, it'll come back to me a little bit, but but that's the thing. All I see, we see is a pitchapong. Where's that a call? And he doesn't have the dialogue. But um, <laughs> but I I remember um, just walking the streets of Bangkok and seeing all these film posters plastered. And now some of them were Thai film, but I, I'm pretty sure Shaw Brothers films, this was in the 70s, uh, were, were being shown in the theater. And I, I probably saw some. Um, I, I, oh, yeah. I, I don't know if my dad would have taken me to um, a Shaw Brothers. But, uh, but yeah, so that, um, pretty much all I have left is uh, 1 to 10. Nung sang sam si ha ho jet pek that's all I have. <laughs> so, well, you know, it's one. My sister lived in Thailand. She lived in Doi Tao, which is a little village up mm-hmm. north. She was in the Peace Corps, and she lived there for about three years. And I went to visit her in the, gosh, the early 80s, I think probably 80s, or not mid-80s, I guess, 86. Um, and we were in Bangkok. And yeah, they had big painted movie uh, billboards up for, um, I think at the time it was Massive. Mr. Bangkok or something. I mean, so there were a lot of Hong Kong. Thailand was a huge market for mm-hmm. dubbed Hong Kong movies. So I have no doubt. I mean, I've seen Thai billboards for Shaw Brothers stuff, for Golden Harvest stuff. I mean, they were showing that stuff all over the place there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I want to talk about the book, and and that's why that's where that book resonated because it's such a visual, it's a, it's a blend between uh, you know uh, uh, the history, the written history that you wrote, and also just the um, those I, those images. So um, so I, I really um, I recalled the, the t- my time in Thailand. So it's kind of a it's. It goes through the the period. I really, I guess, really with Shaw Brothers, right? Uh, primarily mm-hmm. up through, like, say, the '90s, and then kind of wrap up with uh, what's uh, what the films since then. But um, how did this book get started? Uh, well, Chris's I fault. had <laughs> <laughs> I had uh, I had planned for a while to do something uh, related to the martial arts movies, and I a couple of false starts and I, uh, I had at one point, uh, submitted a proposal to an academic journal 
that was uh, actually a, it was an academic book called Grindhouse uh, Cross Cultural. I think it was Cross Cultural something on Forty Second Street. I, I, I forgot the title of it, but it was in. Um, they put out a call for papers like in two thousand thirteen uh, or fourteen, something like that. And so I, I submitted a proposal for an article just for the heck of it. I mean, I knew I wasn't in academia, so they they weren't going to uh, to pick it. But just just to see, you know, just for something to do, I submitted the proposal, and it was re you know rejected within a week. I said, okay, that's you know, I, I that's what I figured because I'm not affiliated with the university. And, but my sister was affiliated at the time. She was on the tenure track at, um, at Lehman College. And she's like, well, why are you wasting your time? You're, you're writing for like newsstand magazines and, and you know, getting paid for it. And, and people are reading your articles and none of the above if you get published in this book. Because <laughs> uh, you know, she was writing for academic journals and books and everything. And she's like, I'd love to, to do what you're doing for you know, Fangoria or, or Rue Morgue. So, uh, so when the book came out, like two years later, I figured some other, you know, a professor at a school had was covering martial arts movies, and I was shocked that there was nothing in this book about it. And I'm like, this is like martial arts movies are the ultimate cross-cultural um, genre, and on 42nd Street, it made no sense to me that this book had been published and nobody, there were like, you know, 10 or 12 contributors, nobody had covered it. So I said, well, that's it. I mean, I, I just have to do it because if, if I don't do it, nobody else will. I just know it. And I knew these distributors. I knew some of them. I had interviewed Mel Marin. Um, I knew Terry Levine for a number of years. And I knew how to contact them if I wanted to talk to them. These others like Neva Frieden and... Um, Sarah from Carolexis. I just knew if I, like some of them uh, had had not uh, granted me an interview, but I knew if I kept chipping away at them eventually, <laughs> eventually I'd get them to talk. And that's what happened with most of them. Um, if I didn't already have a, a relationship with them, I just kept chipping away and, and eventually uh, I, I was able to get most of them uh, to talk to me. And, uh, and at a certain point, uh, I realized that I had like over 400 movie posters that were just martial arts movies. And it was right about that time. Uh, uh, my brother had gotten me a copy of Grady's book, pa Paperbacks from Hell. My brother had gotten it like, I don't know, a year earlier, maybe, uh, and he's like, oh, it's great. You know, you have you read it yet? And I said, no, yeah, I'll, I'll get it at some point because yeah, I know Grady. And, and he said, oh, so he bought it for me, I think for my birthday or for Christmas. I don't remember. Uh, but uh, but yeah, a few few months later, I was looking at it and I was looking at uh, another friend of mine, uh, his book, Ad Nauseam, a, a friend of mine going back to the 80s, Michael Gingold. Uh, we used to do fanzines. We used to trade uh, fanzines back in the 80s. And uh, he he had done a book called Ad Nauseam, which was all movie ads. And I had contributed to that uh, a couple of ads. And I also helped him get an interview with Terry Levine and Wayne Weil for that book because uh, they, they had uh, worked on a number of the movies that were represented in this book. And so I, I imagined a combination of paperbacks from hell and Ad Nauseam. Uh, but with Kung Fu posters and ads and interviews with the distributors and maybe some of the people who were in the movies. Yeah. And, uh, and, and uh, I 
pitched it to a couple of publishers and they weren't interested at all. So I contacted Grady and I said, look, you know, can you take, can, can you listen to this pitch? Do you think there's something there? And, and Grady said, yeah, in fact, I'd like to work on it with you. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if, if this could be more than posters and ads, because there's a story to be told here. And I said, yeah, I agree. You know, let's, let's figure out how to tell this story the best way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that I think was really the key moment is like when I did paperbacks from hell, which is just this history of the 70s and 80s horror paperback boom, you know, figuring out what the story was, was the hardest part. And with this book, it was the hardest part, but it's, it's the most important thing because there is a story. I mean, nothing comes out of nowhere. And, you know, March of 1973, Five Fingers of Death appears in Times Square from Warner Brothers, and it kicks off this kung fu boom. That, you know, which wildly is kind of over by the end of 1973. But for a week Mm -hmm. in 1973, you had an Angela Mao movie, a Bruce Lee movie and Five Fingers of Death at the number one, two and three place in the American box office. Um, You know, you had this huge you got Enter the Dragon come out a few in August of that year, a few weeks after Bruce Lee died. I mean, you really had this moment. Um, And then it went on and 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 basically what happened was sort of the same thing that happened with the hardcore craze, right? All the all the white mainstream people like, oh, this is cool. We want to see what this is. And in relatively short order, they got tired of it and moved on, but then audience remained. And for the, the Kung Fu movies, that audience was really a, a non-white audience that remained mm-hmm. because these were movies that really spoke to black and Latin people in America and Asian people because the movies were about often some kid standing up to the system with nothing but their bare hands and usually dying, but sort of taking out as many, you know, corrupt cops or politicians (laughs) or whatever in the process. And the movies all starred non-white people. And so, you know, it was this real thing. And, you know, and, and so with Chris, it was fun to sort of go back to what was, what sort of laid the groundwork for that before 73 and then to go forward and see how that sort of boom sp- expanded and got into ninja movies and all this stuff. And then the workout craze and you wound up with stuff like Tybo in the, in the nineties. Um, you, you got Jim, Jim Cotta I, in the movie. So. I have not heard Tybo in a long time. Yeah. I've kind of forgotten well, you know, about Tybo, that. And Tybo is amazing because I mean, I've done Tybo. I thought it was fun back in the day, but like, you know, Tybo is a punchline, but you look at Billy Blanks and it's like, here is, you know, after seeing so many black martial artists kind of get chewed up and spit out. And, 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 you know, I think black artists really have a a really hard time because they get ripped off so many times that, you know, they get taken advantage of, they really get suspicious of who they're working with because they've been ripped off so many times. Mm-hmm. So you have folks like Jim Kelly or Ron Van Cleef or or any of these guys who, you know, Carl Scott, who, you know, they 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 get exploited, they get used, they 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 wind up working with all the worst people and not working with all the best people and really, really having a rough time. And then you see someone like Billy Blanks who a black martial artist who really makes an empire that he owns and he's the one who gets the payday, not the guys he's working for. He owns it. And you're like, God damn, that's a happy ending. You know, (laughs) like, thank God that's such a success story. 
But you see in the late night, I mean, but that's late. I mean, this martial arts boom really died in the late 80s when there was a whole push, when cities started looking at Times Square or the Loop in Chicago or downtown in L.A. and thinking, why is all this valuable real estate taken up by movie theaters catering to black people? What, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, you know, and then you had on television where you had things like Black Belt Theater and all this when um, Reagan sort of um, changed the FCC rules. So you no longer had a limited amount of time for television ads per hour. And you had all these TV stations go, why are we buying packages of these Kung Fu movies when we could be selling this airtime to infomercials? And you really had in the late 80s, just it wiped out all those theaters, all those TV packages showing Kung Fu movies. And suddenly they just went invisible and they retreated to the Chinatown circuit, which is where they'd been before 1973. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and then then it was people like, you know, Barry Long, who was keeping that (laughs) thing alive. Um, So you really did have this story though. And you know, and the other part of the story that was so great is there was a huge judo boom at the turn of the 20th century. I mean, Teddy Roosevelt was doing judo, Madame Curie, was teaching judo. You had women women who were fighting in the suffrage movement to get the vote, who had a bodyguard that was using judo to take down cops to keep their leaders from getting arrested. Um, and then you had this boom grow and grow, and you had all these Japanese judo teachers coming over to America and really starting dozens of dojos all over the West Coast. And, you know, the Teamsters in Chicago were learning judo. Police departments were learning judo. And then World War II. And suddenly judo judo was this evil Japanese thing. And all these teachers were put in concentration camps. And, you know, even though they came out and started teaching judo again, it really that moment passed and, you know, kind of died. And you then look at the 80s when ninjas suddenly got huge and you had Shokasugi, uh, a Japanese immigrant who came to America with nothing, who suddenly became one of the biggest action stars in the country, headlining movies. I mean, this was an Asian star headlining movies for almost the first time, uh, headlining these Hollywood movies. Cashing and Shokasugi, mm-hmm. no one took advantage of Show. He ran his empire. He got paid what he was worth. And if you weren't paying him, he would move on to someone who would. He sold his merch. He sold, you know, the Shokasugi fan club, selling replica swords. And it was such an amazing full circle, you know, to go from these Japanese actors playing houseboys and not being allowed to do martial arts and then getting put in concentration camps to a Japanese actor becoming one of the biggest actors in America in the 80s. So it was it's an amazing story. And that's, I think for Chris and I, that's what really was really nice to get to sort of at least do something to capture these interviews and these materials and some of this story just to try to put it out there so that people, and, and we're not the ones, you know, these aren't, this isn't Chris and I's story. We're just right. hoping that people sure. read this and are like, I want more of this. I want mm-hmm. more of that. And they yeah. go out and they mm-hmm. do their own research and their own interviews and, and you know, go bigger with this stuff. Well, yeah. I want to say something. Mm-hmm. Is there so many times that you read a book, a uh, biography or, or, or um, any kind of uh, film book where sometimes the author is – they're not invested in the subject and yeah. you can tell 
Um, and sometimes uh, there's even <laughs> They, it almost comes across as if they loathe the subject that they're writing about, <laughs> and 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 I have encountered that more times than I than I uh, can count. So what I love is when uh, someone who puts something out there loves what they're talking about, yep. and that comes across in every single page of the book. So I just have to say that the two of you, I, I can tell that you poured everything into that. So, um, and I really appreciate it. I love Thank it. You. I love passion. I love passionate, uh, <laughs> passionate people who share their passion with everyone else. And hearing, well, hearing you, know, you both I mean, talk, talk about it, I, I yeah. now see why it works so well. I, I've read a lot of film books, too, and I'm sure some are amazing, but I've never really seen a book like this. Um, maybe, maybe some Tashin books are, are similar, but I, I think you should be proud. I mean, you captured uh, really an era, and, and you also, um, of course, Bruce Lee is the centerpiece, and we'll get to that. Uh, but you also did capture that crossover, the impact, the exploitation. The '80s movies, uh, even um, Van Damme and uh, Steven oh, yeah. Seagal, you know, everything, everything. You know, it's all, it's, all, it's, all, it's part of, you know, we we we've lived it. Uh, I'm so thrilled that uh, Criterion has these films. Um, so I, I'm a big King Who film. I'm probably more of the art side of of, of martial arts films. So that's more my interest. I, a Touch of Zen is my uh, probably my favorite, uh, one of my favorite Asian films. I, I just love that. And then uh, Dragon Inn and. Um, and Grady, you um, you were on that disc, right? Yeah, Dragon Inn was was a blast. I just did a thing about um, sort of looking at King Who and what he was doing that was interesting because he really he created. So before 1967, a lot of these Hong Kong movies and and, and Chinese action movies, wuxia films, swordsman films, um, as opposed to like kung fu movies. Um, they were very stately. They were very restrained. They were very um, stylized. Mm -hmm. And King Hu really brought in a lot of sort of more rambunctious and acrobatic elements from opera, Chinese opera, and um, really treated the frame. He, he brought a lot of film techniques to Chinese opera and a lot of Chinese opera techniques to film. And so it's a really, so his Come Drink With Me and Dragon Inn are really, really fascinating early steps into what became this, what what wound up being incredibly intricate action choreography. So yeah, so I did something just sort of talking about that and breaking down, um, you know, what he's doing in one of the scenes and and just sort of talking it through for people because as you can tell, the monologue is my favorite form of communication. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we're, we're here, we're here for it. Now, and that's that's great transition because uh, come, I, I think touches in dragon in touches in Zen is just far more artistic, I think. Uh, and then Dragon Inn is more narrative. And then I, I love Come Drink With Me. I, I don't know if that's out, out on disc yet, but that was the first Shaw movie. And then a King Who then moved on. To, and I think there's some, been some Eureka releases of his films. Um, great work, yeah. too. Um, his movies got longer and longer. So, uh, but um, And then I don't know if you'd count Zatoichi as uh, as martial arts. It kind of seems like it has sort of that same formula. It might have influenced uh, Golden Harvest and um, uh, Shaw. So, uh, but are, are you fans of the Zatoichi films series? Oh, I am. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, of that series. And they did uh, they did influence. Uh, they were very popular uh, in Hong Kong, and they had influenced. 
uh, or they were one of the influences on uh, Wang Yu uh, for for doing uh, first the the one armed swordsman, uh, and then uh, later, uh, well, actually, the, the Japanese films in general were a big influence on Wang Yu. Uh, the th- uh, Three Outlaw Samurai, which is a, a Criterion mm-hmm. title. Uh, was remade by the Shaw brothers in 1966 as the Magnificent Trio, and that was a, a Wang Yu movie. Uh, but the yeah, the Zadoichi movies were were really popular in Hong Kong and and influenced him. And there was an, another Japanese uh, samurai character uh, named Tanj Sazen, who was had uh, one eye and one arm. And there was a, a long series of, of his movies, uh, movies about him. Uh, Tetsuro Tamba was in one of them in the mid '60s. So uh, Wang Yu really took like the one arm uh, idea from that, and and also kind of worked in aspects of Zadoichi, and then did a movie with Zadoichi, Zadoichi and the One Arm yes, Swordsman. Yes. Yeah, one mm-hmm. of the later ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I love them too. I, I guess you know, they're not all excellent, but that's within kind of like Godzilla. You know, they they get a little campy mm-hmm. towards the end. Um, <laughs> and yeah, great call out about uh, Three Outlaw Samurai. Um, I I don't think the Magnificent Trio is on the Shaw Brothers disc, but um, I, no, I, I know it's Volume yeah. One, so you never never know mm-hmm. if it's coming soon. So hopefully. Um, and then one thing I loved, loved about your book is, um, you know, you, you gave the uh, requisite amount of love to Bruce Lee and then especially mm-hmm. to Bruce Ploitation. Um, I had <laughs> I loved the Bruce Lee blocks when I watched it. I'd, I'd seen a lot of those films as a kid, and I don't think they're the best films, especially um, the, the final one. You know, it, it's it's an interesting concept. It's more like a video game. But um, but just his his charisma, just his his impact on the on the um I mean, he really broke uh, the the genre, and um, and made it famous. Um, so I I loved the um, the the I, there, there's a supplement on the Bruce Lee box about Bruce Ploitation, but mm-hmm. when I read your book, I had no idea. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I think that you can only capture so much in 15 minutes, but uh, you did a great job of out uh, laying out all the different um, Bruce Lee. Uh, fakes uh, but uh mm-hmm. yeah I, I i assume you both have owned and have watched the set oh yeah oh yeah mm-hmm. and yeah. and to me the most remarkable i mean tower of death which is the sequel to game of death which is on there which i think is a great movie i mean just really it's okay. an exploitation movie but it's so much fun because it was essentially i mean game of death is one of the most cynical rip-offs ever because it's a terrible movie uh, and it just has that bit of Bruce Lee footage at the mm-hmm. end. And it's made by Bruce Lee's home studio, Golden Harvest. I mean, it's made by the people that Bruce Lee made rich when he was alive. And, you know, it's just terrible. And one of the most <laughs> amazing things on that box set is the Game of Death remix, which is where I can't remember the filmmaker's name, but he took Bruce Lee's notes the footage that wasn't used on actually in Game of Death, but was shot for it. He took the screenplay and he basically redoes that entire end of the movie the way Bruce Lee wanted to do it. And it's so much better than the Game of Death version. I mean, it's it's an extra on the box set. And it's amazing. It's funny. It's smart. It's got emotions in it. The action's better. But, you know, they wanted to give audiences what audiences wanted, which was a tough snarling mean bruce lee who is powerful 
And they didn't want to give the Bruce Lee that Bruce Lee wanted to do, which was had humor in him. He was trying to appeal to an Asian audience as well as an Anglo audience. He was being a little more philosophical. He was giving his the people in the cast, other characters, some more room to do stuff. So comparing those two is amazing. But then Tower of Death, which is Game of Death 2, I love. It's <laughs> Yun, who is a great director from Hong Kong, a bit of a journeyman, but a smart, smart guy. He gave a lot of people. I mean, he he's the guy who saw potential in Jackie Chan where no one else did. He saw potential in Choi Hark where no one else did. He went on to do all the Once Upon a Time in China movies. Um, and he teams up with Yun Wu Peng, you know, of, of The Matrix and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and pretty much every stuntman in Hong Kong. And also Roy Haran, who was his overseas uh, sales agent, uh, who plays the evil white guy in it, the Mr. Han character who has an army of of, of peacocks in Tower of Death. And it is... <laughs> <laughs> the big, it is the big budget all star Bruce Boytation movie of your dreams. It's corny, it's cheesy, the action's fun, the stunts are good. I mean, Roy Haran drinks raw, you know, blood and eats raw meat and feeds his opponents to lions. <laughs> I don't know what else you want. You from just, the you just won me over with the army of peacocks. Like I'm there. Oh yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm sorry, Grady. I had forgotten that film, <laughs> but I saw it. And you're right, it is is pretty bad. Uh, but I love, terribly loved, amazing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So some some films, you know, it's okay. There's so there's a thing that's so bad, so good that it's good. It's it's not exactly the room or birdemic, but it was um it was not great. Um, and I know we're, we're talking Criterion's here, but I, mm -hmm. I did watch Drunken Master preparing for this show, and of course uh, Criterion released Police Story, but I I think that you know I'm guessing that 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 his stardom you know kind of end, ended that um that glut or that uh, depressed uh, market for um for the these films but i i really think and great i believe you did some some work on uh, keaton if i'm not mistaken um I, I really think that that's probably what bruce lee wanted was um this this almost comic figure um and uh, of course extremely athletic does all the stunts um, but I was surprised by just how funny that movie was. Um, yeah. How funny he is. And, and also... I, am, am, did, you ahead. did do some, some Keaton work, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I do a, a feature on the Jackie Chan thing for Criterion as well, talking about Jackie Chan and his filmmaking techniques. And we talk about Buster Keaton in there as well. Oh, oh um, right. I, I, I saw it, but I, it's been, I saw it when it came out. That, yeah. was, a, that was a great, great... Um, Addition uh, uh, those those two films. I had no idea how just how wonderful they were, and uh, oh yeah, I mean the the stunts that that man put himself through. <laughs> I, I mean, is he like the most physically accomplished of these stars? I know that's a tough. Well, it's interesting because I mean, so Jackie Jackie Hong Kong audiences and Asian audiences were really ahead of the curve. Bruce Lee had a huge hangover effect in America. Mm -hmm. And Bruce Lee's thing was being tough, right? He would hit yeah. you once and you went down. And that was so, audiences wanted that so badly in America. We wanted a non-white star who was kicking ass and taking names. And when Jackie Chan came along with Drunken Master and Snake and Eagle Shadow in 1978 right. that he made with Yun Wu Ping, who also did Tower of Death, just plugging Tower of Death some more. Um, <laughs> I'm still not sold, almost, baby. I'm still not. <laughs> those were almost the first kung fu comedy movies. There have been a few beforehand, but those were the first two that really made that formula. 
and Asia and Hong Kong in particular, or Taiwan, Thailand, everywhere, went nuts for it. Mm-hmm. And so that was really what happened over there then is, is comedy Kung Fu became huge. And over here, we really stuck with tough Kung Fu. We wanted more mm-hmm. Bruce Lee. And when Jackie Chan tried to break over in America, he did okay, but he didn't quite cross over in the early 80s. And it took until the 90s with Rumble in the Bronx that right. we were really ready for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jackie Chan, so you, in terms of being physically accomplished, I would say Jackie Chan's amazing. I and mean, he really is. There's there's no one else like him out there. But I'm a much bigger fan of Sam Hung, who mm-hmm. he went to, he's sort of a, he's kind of a, a fat guy, um, you know, but he is, he and Jackie Chan and about, and five other actors, they were known as kids as the seven little fortunes. They all trained in Chinese opera school together as kids, which was a brutal environment. Um, they would have to do things like horse stance for hours at a time and didn't eat if they didn't like do their, their exercises properly. And Samo was the oldest of the bunch. And he's Jackie Chan's known as Big Brother sometimes over there. Samo is always called Big Brother Big, um, <laughs> which which um, because he's the biggest brother, both physically. I mean, he's a, he's a fat guy, but also um, just he's the oldest. And he really he became a stuntman and then a director and was really mm-hmm. giving Jackie and all these other people uh, their, their their jobs and and marshalling them as his crew early on. And he's an actor as well. And actually, Eureka puts out a lot of his movies. Um, I'm actually uh, holding one. Uh, uh, three films with Sammo Hung, The Iron-Fisted Monk, Eastern, Eastern Condors, and The Magnificent Butcher, which I'm, I'm, he, um, I'm guessing that, that Butcher carves up the condors. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's actually, that's a, that's a funny movie because Magnificent Butcher is about Lam Sai Wing, and that's part of the whole... So the Once Upon a Time in China movies that Criterion did the box mm-hmm. set for about Wong Fei Hung, the folk hero, there's not just dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of Wong Fei Hung movies out there, but there's also dozens of movies about his students. Uh, Lam Sai Wing, Butcher Wing is one of them. Um, and so Magnificent Butcher is a Lam Sai Wing movie. Um, and, and Butcher Wing appears in the Once Upon a Time in China movies uh, played by Kent Cheng. But... Yeah, Samo is a genius, and he really, really, I would say, is probably the great working action filmmaker. Um, and it's amazing to watch a guy that big be so graceful and elegant in his heyday. It's just astonishing. So Jackie Chan, he's his own thing. But mm-hmm. I think in terms of being willing to experiment and really try new things and break ground, Samo Hung really is is where to go. He's really the innovator. Well, I, you sold me. I'm I'm going to unwrap this one pretty soon. Uh, yeah, but but I, I like what you said about how Bruce Lee. You know, you had the quick quick uh, knockout. Um, whereas Jackie yeah. Jack, Jackie Chan, you could have 10, 15 minute fights where he's putting cups on your heads. And uh, <laughs> and and by well, the way, really, listeners, yeah. I, I highly recommend don't get drunk and think you can fight better. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's really interesting too because you look at Samo and like what Samo was doing is intricate fights. That would go on and on. That would that would be much more. Lau Kar Lung was sort of before Samo, and Samo really carried the torch from him. And Samo was like, "Let's make this look good for the camera. Let's use more slow motion. Let's use more angles. Let's use a moving mm-hmm. camera." That was mm-hmm. Samo's big thing. And so he'd really move around a space. You're in a warehouse. You're in a parking garage. You're in a hospital. Wherever you are, but he's really moving around it. 
Jackie's big innovation, I think, was to run away. Jackie, if you watch <laughs> Jackie's fights, <laughs> as he gets more sophisticated as a filmmaker, a fight starts in this location, and then it runs and runs and runs and mm -hmm. goes to this other location, and then runs and runs and runs and goes to another location, then jumps out of fifth story window and lands on a moving bus. <laughs> Samo sticks to one location for a fight, but moves around within that location. Jackie takes it on the road. Yeah, I, I love that. I can't wait for Samo, but yeah, yeah police story. I mean, he, he hangs for yeah. us. Uh, that's a great, great example. The mm -hmm. way you're talking about these two is like how how musical nerds talk about the differences between <laughs> Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly. You know, yeah. I love it exactly. And well, Jill, Jill, Jill honestly, that, I think you'd please. you'd enjoy Jackie. Uh, mm -hmm. He's he really does have that slapstick, and and I I really just saw a lot of silent film comedy um, from him, and 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 also mm -hmm. you know some of the. The heavy slapstick. Um, yeah. Know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Belmondo also. He was influenced by Jean-Paul Belmondo. Really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like the um, the the thing with on the bus was done by Belmondo in uh, a movie called The Burglars. Huh. Okay. Haven't seen it. We, we oh, lost, yeah. it, lost it, him earlier this year. That's. Uh, yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's one thing that was really interesting about a lot of these Hong Kong filmmakers, Shaw Brothers, all of them. They were really international. I mean, Shaw was bringing over Japanese cinematographers in the 60s to teach their cinematographers and to shoot their movies and to really get the best. Mm -hmm. They were looking at spaghetti westerns. Mm -hmm. You know, Jackie mm -hmm. Chan was looking at Harold Lloyd. I mean, he didn't hear about Howard Lloyd until later, but he began looking at his movies and really getting it. But yeah. he was actually into Harold Lloyd before he was into Buster Keaton. Wow. These guys had a real range of influences in European yeah. cinema everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they they really took it all in and made it their own. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Great, great stuff. Well, as an aside, you mentioned Keaton. There are two amazing books on Keaton that just came out. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. One by Dana Stevens and the other one's James Curtis. I've, I've read Dana's and I'm about halfway through the Curtis one and they are incredible and both different from one another so you you guys need to check those out mm -hmm. they're great i think we're going to be talking some keaton so <laughs> let's bookmark yeah. that jill uh, um, so there's been a few other uh, others in criterion um lady snowblood lone wolf and cub uh, which mm -hmm. uh, shogun assassin i i think is what uh, hit america um yeah we, we talked about police yeah. story and then um once upon a time oh, in just to just to yep, yep. jump back for a quick sec when you were lady snowblood you know mm -hmm. that movie had a huge influence in hong kong and actually angela mao uh who was bruce lee's uh the other big up-and-coming star at golden harvest when bruce lee was and she's in enter the dragon she does a remake of lady snowblood called broken oath later on oh, which wow. samo i believe choreographed mm -hmm. yeah this lady snowblood's a great, great release yeah, yeah, yeah great film um, I do want to talk about Once Upon a Time in China because I uh, that's a recent box set. I think it came out in uh, November, and mm -hmm. I and I, I didn't when we first talk, talk, started talking about doing an episode. I didn't know that you were going to be involved with that release, um, Grady. But I, I I think of all the films that that we're talking about today. Uh, well, Throwdown was really good too, um, but I think this was my favorite series. Um, I, I, I was mm -hmm. just, just the. The filmmaking, Sui Hark, I think he staged the most interesting, innovative f fights. Um, of course, they're you know sometimes you have Jet Li, you know, taking everybody out with a a, a piece of cloth. So it's not yeah. always. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but I also I, he the set construction. Um, it's really really remarkable filmmaking and pretty good characters. I was a little confused about the Thirteenth Ant thing, but. Um, 
and then of course the Jet Li leaves, uh, and then um, we I forget the name of the actor that's replaced him. It was okay. Um, and uh, then yeah. and then the, the Once Upon a Time in China and America, um, I, that one actually surprised me by how great that was. Um, I, I think it's that, a fun movie. It is, yeah, and it really did bring. And that's another thing I liked about this set is it. You know, it's the history of China, but it's also it's you know, the history of China is not all China. It's also there's a there, it really hits of the colonialism part, and then and of yeah. course Once Upon a Time China in America is almost spaghetti westernish. Um, so, um, see. Just curious your, your and, thoughts on that that series. Yeah, well, you know, Once Upon a Time in China and America, produced by Choi Hark, but directed by Sam Ho-Hung. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah, and so, and it, and actually I'm wrong about something. The first first couple of um, Once Upon a Time in China movies, which are choreographed by Yun Wu-Ping, Yun Wu-Ping's who, who choreographed uh, Broken Oath with Angela Mao. Sam Ho usually did her, but Yun Wu-Ping did her for that. But they're, they're amazing movies. You know, um, Choi Hark really took a huge risk doing the first one. Um, Jet Li was not, he was considered washed up. He was divorced. He didn't even live. He lived in America at the time. There was a real pushback on casting a mainland Chinese washed up, divorced man is this avatar of Southern Chinese Confucian virtue. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, he really, Choi Hark really believed in him and took a lot of risks with that movie. I mean, it took almost a year to shoot. It was enormously expensive. Um, he kept firing action choreographers because he had great people. He had, you know, Yoon Wu-Ping's brother on there. He had all these people. They just weren't giving him what he wanted. Um, and, you know, it's amazing to see what he did with those movies. And when you hear some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, you know, you think, God, I never want to direct a movie. It is too much. Like, <laughs> yeah. Donnie Yen, who is mm-hmm. the kind of sort of bad guy in Once Upon a Time in China, too. Um, he was Yun Wu Ping's protege at the time. He was Chinese American. He's from Boston and really brash, really headstrong. He'd done a fair number of Hong Kong movies. And, and he was, he sort of has had a bit of an ego on him. And being in this movie, he was always sort of like a star of a B-list movie or a B actor in an A-list movie. And this movie, Choi Hark really had to kind of put him in his place. And and Donnie's told this story before where he says, you know, Choi Hark would say, okay, I need you to get ready to shoot. You need to be in costume. You need to be in makeup. You need to be ready to go. And Donnie Yen would show up and he'd get in costume, he'd do his makeup, he'd do the wig, he'd do the whole thing. And Choi Hark would have him on standby for 22, 23, 24 hours. Because oh Choi Hark doesn't <laughs> sleep. He's not capable of sleeping. He would shoot for 26 hours at a stretch. Wow. Oh my God. Um, and he would just exhaust Donnie Yen until he was getting the performance. I mean, it was that Kubrick thing of, you know, getting an actor to do something <laughs> until they're so exhausted they're not acting anymore. He would exhaust Donnie Yen until Donnie Yen would do what he told him to do. I mean, that's some <laughs> genius level human psychological <laughs> manipulation on top of shooting mm-hmm. a movie, you know? Yeah, Brisson did that too. <laughs> really taking yeah. the acting out. Yeah, um, as I was preparing for this, I was I started watching Iron Monkey. I haven't had a chance to finish it. Oh, but it's so much fun, yeah. It, it's really well done. I was surprised. Um, but I believe that, that that preceded Once Upon a Time in China. I don't recall. I think it was, was it 92? It, it, so it's after. It's after. Oh, is it? Because okay. that's got Wong Fei-Hung in it as a little child, and his father, Wong gotcha. Kei-Ying, in it is in there, who's played by Donnie Yen, I believe. 
Okay. What was funny about the uh, the su- su- supplements of the, uh, the 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 Once Upon a Time disc were fantastic, but they had one that uh, was the history of the main character. And um, oh, yeah. what's funny is everything in that museum is stuff that happened in the movies. <laughs> so I think that there's a little oh, yeah. uh, uh, revisionist. Uh, but Well, you know, Wong, Wong, just really quick with that, because, yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's the beauty of Wong Fei Hung. He's the world's biggest franchise character. There is no other character in motion pictures who's been in this many movies. Mm-hmm. He's a real person, but he belongs to everyone. He's not corporate IP. He's not Spider-Man. He's not yeah. James Bond. Yeah. You can make up whatever you want. You can go back to the story. You can go wherever you want with him because he belongs to everyone. Yeah, sort of like Andre Rublev. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Very, very, very different. <laughs> <laughs> He is the Andre Rublev of Chinese cinema. He's the icon painter. <laughs> so there, I, there was a few more. That, the Johnny Toe release, I think that's the most recent um, uh, film that's martial arts film. And that, speaking of, you were talking yeah. about judo. Um, mm-hmm. that, that I, I, I don't think I'd seen a lot of judo movies, um, and I was didn't know what to expect, but I was uh, very pleased with that film. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's more to come. I, I love that they're curating this stuff in, in there. Um, and Chris, I think you had mentioned mm-hmm. um, uh, Sword of Doom, um, Samurai Spy, or some others. Right. Yeah. There was a uh, well. Sword of Doom is on Blu-ray from Criterion, but there yeah. was a, a DVD set uh, that has not carried over to Blu-ray. Uh, there was a Rebel Samurai set that had some really good titles on it. Uh, Youth, um, sorry, Sword of the Beast. And Samurai Spy, Kill, and That's right. uh, Samurai Rebellion. Yeah, there are four, four movies there. And on the um, the first Kurosawa set, the the uh, first films of Akira Kurosawa, there are the two Sanjiro Sagata movies. Mm-hmm. Those are both mm-hmm. judo judo movies. The first uh, the first one was done in That's right. was uh, Kurosawa's first movie. Yeah, it's a, a judo versus jujitsu story. Uh, based on a popular novel. And there have been five or six versions of that story uh, over the years. Um, I think five before 1970 wow, were done. Yeah. Uh, by different studios, uh, and uh, but that that was a big influence on you because we were talking about Wang Yu earlier. That was another big influence on uh, Wang Yu. All of the mm-hmm. judo versus jujitsu or judo versus karate movies, because he saw those and thought, well, why can't there be a kung fu versus karate movie? And that yeah. was the Chinese boxer. Oh right, uh, yeah. That, that's the the. I believe that's the first film in the Shaw set. Um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 it, it is really interesting how um, how there's the blend of samurai into um, into uh, martial arts. But um, I love Sword of Doom. It, it's a mm-hmm. very very bleak movie, um, and I love the Samurai yeah. trilogy too as well. So mm-hmm. Chris and Grady, as a, um, I you know I, I told you guys early on I I don't know anything about (laughs) these films Mm -hmm. so and i'm sure that we do have some listeners who also are kind of overwhelmed with choices (laughs) so i have to ask Mm -hmm. each of you what would be the one film that you would show someone to get them like hooked in please story 100 percent. okay i agree yeah that's it's fun I mean, I, uh, I, you didn't ask me, but um. <laughs> well, you know, but Chris, what about you, Chris? 
Well, that, that's a really good choice because I, I remember showing that to my brother when it first came out on on uh, VHS and mm-hmm. he, would, he was like six or seven. But uh, I just remembered now when I the day that I first saw a martial arts movie on television in 1982, my brother was there and he was like three years old and we were both staring at this, at this thing. Uh, and so I, I, yeah, I, I might say it would definitely be a Jackie Chan movie and yeah, okay. that's, that's a really good choice. I would, I would say, um, I would say police story also. All right. Yeah. Although I will say really quick, quickly mm-hmm. is I just did a screening out in Brooklyn uh, at the Nighthawk in Prospect Park of the transfers for Once Upon a Time in China 1 and 2. And it was so much fun to see Once Upon a Time in China with an audience because it still works. You know what I mean? It still Mm -hmm. works. People would cheer. It's crazy how much these movies are designed to be seen in a theater with an audience. Yeah, Yeah, I I can totally see that. Yeah, yeah, that's a good choice. Uh, Same question. Mm -hmm. What about classic martial arts films? What would be the best entry point uh, to pick one film? Maybe uh, would it be a King Who? Hmm. Are we limited to the Criterion's output, or can oh, we just go no, to... No, everything. No, anything. <laughs> you're, you're the experts. <laughs> what do you think, Chris? I know what I'm going to say, but what are you going to say? You go first. Uh, <laughs> um, well, I showed a bunch of the Shaw Brothers movies at the Alamo Draft House in Yonkers a oh, few nice. years ago, and, and some of them still play really well. Like, I know Duel of the Iron Fist uh, played really mm. well. Uh, Crippled Avengers played really well. Um, and only one of those is on the new set, uh, on that, the, the first Shaw scope set, um, crippled Avengers. Uh, I, I, you know, uh, master of the flying guillotine. It, oh yeah. That, that plays really well. That's so Shaw. Well. Um, no, that was, uh, I think it was first films. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to, were you saying master of the flying guillotine? I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to go with, even though it's you can only really get it on that Shaw box set from Arrow, Crippled Avengers. And oh, I was not a huge old school Kung Fu fan for the longest time. Hmm. I just, I don't know, it just was, wasn't my speed. And I saw Crippled Avengers on the big screen with an audience, and it blew my mind. <laughs> it is so much fun. It's so fast moving. It has so many twists. It gets dark. It gets funny. And it's completely tasteless. Um, it really, <laughs> it really, you know, it's one of the five Venoms movies who were Chang Che, the big Shaw Brothers director, sort of one of his late career discoveries were these five Taiwanese guys who were these really, each one was sort of billed as having one's a super kicker, one's an acrobat. And um, they did five Venoms together, which I actually don't love as a movie. But their next movie was Crippled Avengers, and it's so great. It's so much fun. Mm-hmm. I love tasteless films. So. <laughs> yeah, it, it's the whole premise is just wrong. But once you get past that, and, <laughs> and, and, and yeah, it, you know, because I ran, I ran, to, I, I ran them on a double bill at the Alamo, and I ran Five Deadly Venoms, and everybody showed up for that one because that's the one that has the mm-hmm. reputation, and people were not really too 
thrilled with it. And then yeah. most of them left. They didn't stick around for Crippled Avengers. I was like, oh, no, no, you really need to stick around for this one, <laughs> which yeah, it, it played really well with the with the few people who, who stuck around for it. Um, but yeah, it's great. It, it is. I'm actually flipping through the uh, Shaw set, set as you're talking, and um, it's on disc seven, and it has mm -hmm. the five Venoms and Crippled Avengers on the same disc. So mm -hmm. I'll, I'll heed your advice. I might watch that <laughs> the other film first. Um, right. And yeah, by the, by the way, the, do it that way. this Shaw set is just gorgeous. So I know it's a, a little pricey, but um, if you want, on, uh, it sounds like it's a good introduction to um, to classic uh, classic martial arts. Um, so I would recommend mm -hmm. it, even though I've only watched, watched one movie, that, and it was okay. It was King, King Boxer, which I <laughs> I don't know if you like that one, but uh, I thought Oh, it was yeah. Okay. Yeah, I ran that also. That still plays really well with an audience. That, nice. that was another one that I ran in that series. Yeah, Masked Avengers, um, that, that played really well. Most of them, most of them played still um, with, with an audience, yeah. No, I was going to say, that Shaw set is interesting because there's so much good stuff on it, but I really think any box set that has crippled Avengers, Boxer from Shantung, and Heroes of the East on it. I mean, those three movies are just stone cold classics. They're they're mm -hmm. inarguably great films. And it's like, God, all on the same box set. It's insane. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, I, I can't wait. So I'm, as I edit this, I'm going to write this down and I'm going to watch them in that, that order uh, because the box set is, is a little intimidating. Um, yeah. and, of, and of course, and uh, that's why I asked this question because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have some things sitting on my shelf downstairs and I have no earthly idea what to do. So. <laughs> and, well, and you know, know Bob, okay. go ahead, Chris. Oh, I was just, I was going to say, you know, Boxer from Shantung was another one that I first saw on TV on a Saturday afternoon. And Ooh. I still, to mm. this day, I've never seen that much blood on <laughs> network television <laughs> or on a, you know, commercial television. What a bloody mess that movie is. And I was just agape, my mouth agape watching this thing. <laughs> and it was like 1985 or 80, yeah, 84, 85. I was a teenager. I turned this, this is like the last 20 minutes. It's just people chopping each other up with axes and yeah. Unbelievable. I hope Sold. some. I, just, yeah, I hope some listener I just, will make a letterbox list of every movie we've talked about oh, yeah. here because I'm not going to remember. Uh, what was that, Jill? I just said I'm sold. Yeah. You know, <laughs> people getting chopped up. Well, you know, this is, I think, one of the big issues with these movies is when I when Chris has been screening these for ages, and when I started doing Subway Cinema with these other guys back in 2000. The big issue was access and distribution mm -hmm. because the mm -hmm. Chinatown theaters were closing. How the hell did you see these movies if they weren't Zhang Yimou films, if they weren't Ching Kai, if they weren't an art film, how'd you see it? And now the problem is curation. So much mm -hmm. of this stuff is getting reissued on Blu-ray and box sets, on streaming services, on, it's on YouTube illegally. And now the issue is like you were just saying, Jill, where do I start? Yeah. Because <laughs> if you see one movie, someone's like, go watch these Shaw Brothers movies and you watch Five Deadly Venoms, which is more of a murder mystery than anything. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's going to turn you off of Shaw permanently. You know, it really is curation <laughs> yeah. that's the issue these days, I think. Right. Right. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm really glad we had you just for that. Um, <laughs> so, so there's so much other stuff coming out, and um, and I don't know. I'm sure, I'm sure you're involved with some of some projects in progress. So please don't share any secrets. But um, do you want to mm -hmm. share share some of the other labels that are uh, releasing some of these uh, great films? Or, um, or do you know? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
what what can you talk about, Grady, for uh, as far as like what what you know about the, the things coming out or? Well, um, I don't really know what we're allowed to talk about or not. Um, right. Okay. Well, I guess <laughs> I mean, I, what's been announced is say, probably. Yeah. I was going to say one of the things that really is kind of stellar to me right now. I mean, 88 Films is doing some great stuff, um, you know, but but one and Arrow's doing amazing stuff. Mm -hmm. But if people are looking to check out something, there's three movies all from Eureka that are either just out or about to come out that I really recommend to people. And so if you want to see Sammo Hung sort of at his best, they just released a two disc set of Warriors 2 and Prodigal Son. Warriors 2 is a really good movie. Sammo, you know, and all that. Samo's directed and stars and it does the action for Prodigal Son. And Prodigal Son in Hong Kong and, and pretty much everywhere is considered one of the great martial arts movies of all times. It's Yun Biao, who is Jackie Chan and Sammo Hung's younger brother at the Chinese Opera School. Sammo directs and appears. And it's amazing. It's it's a movie about Wing Chun, which is a generally considered a sissy martial art because it was invented by by a woman, by a Buddhist nun. Um, but it's funny. It's very modern. It's very it's an old school movie. I mean, from the 80s, but it's phenomenal. If you want to see what the Yun clan can do, which is Yun Wu Ping and his brothers, who are amazing action choreographers and, and also actors, uh, Arrow, I mean, sorry, Eureka's about to put out Dreadnought in April mm -hmm. of this year on Blu-ray. And the Yun clan always went freaky. Sammo leans more towards authentic. <laughs> the Yun clan is like, they're into special effects. They're into weird characters. They're into like, so Dreadnought, also starring Yun Biao, is basically the Yun clan serial killer movie with all these bizarre <laughs> supernatural characters who start popping up in it. And it's wild. And <laughs> the third thing I'm going to recommend is if you want to see something that's not a martial arts movie, but is an example of great Hong Kong filmmaking, uh, Eureka just put out, and I never thought I'd see this in my lifetime, but a beautiful Blu-ray of Full Alert, which is by Ringo Lam, who along with John mm. Wu sort of pioneered this mm. revival of gunplay movies in the 80s they in the same 12-month period john Wu released a better tomorrow and kind of revolutionized oh, yeah. the industry and then ringo lamb put out city on fire which got knocked off for reservoir dogs um which sort of also revolutionized the industry and full alert is from 1997 it's kind of ringo lamb's last great movie and it is a very downbeat very dark, very grim, very brutal police procedural that's just it punch, it emotionally punches you in the face and, and, and just keeps punching. It's a phenomenal movie. So <laughs> full alert, dreadnought, uh, and then the Warriors yeah. 2 Prodigal Son two shot. Those are, I sort of think, are you can't go wrong. Mm -hmm. And let's be fair, yeah. Grady. Um, uh, I think Tarantino's stolen half of the films that we've talked about today. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, Knockabout uh, was just announced uh, mm -hmm. for April yeah. by Eureka. That's um, fun. Yeah. Yeah, which is fun. Um, are, and they're are, um, they're also hinting around. Uh, they put up some photos. They haven't officially announced these movies yet, but they put up a photo for um, Broken Oath, which Grady mentioned earlier as yes. the okay. remake of uh, Lady Snowblood, and another Angela Mao movie, I think Hapkido, uh, or When Taekwondo Strikes, maybe. But yeah, they're they're 
gonna it looks like they're gonna start going back to earlier golden harvest productions yeah and also the um uh fran simeone i believe, believe is his name he he does this mm-hmm. little tease uh um at new year's uh with uh the initials and i think one of them was sb2 so i think it's safe to say that we'll expect a, a shaw brothers announcement um mm-hmm. the uh film movement is doing uh the the, the two samurai wolf movies i'm pretty excited about those um by Hideo Gosha, and they're also doing one of his Yakuza movies. Um, but those, th- those are really good. Are those announced? Mm-hmm. Those have been announced, yeah. Uh, okay. I saw it. They, they put up something on Facebook about it, film Great. movement. So I have to be careful there. I, I'll probably do some creative editing for that piece. <laughs> um, although okay. patrons just <laughs> heard, uh, heard a couple secrets. Um, <laughs> patrons, be, be good. <laughs> Well, I don't think, um, you know, the, the Bruceploitation documentary has been posted on the, um, Michael Wirth has been working on that for a while. And oh, he great. posts yeah. about it regularly okay. on his Facebook page. Oh, great. So, uh, yeah, it's, it, I, I don't know what the title is, so it's, it's not really a secret. Oh, great. Okay. Well, in that case, mm-hmm. it's in the show. Thank you. That makes my editing <laughs> sure. easier. And, uh, and no, as like... it happens, Michael Wirth has been on, um, our sister show, um, Criterion Reflections. So, um, oh. sorry, go ahead, Jill. I was just going to say, like, I feel like every other week we see, a, you know, an article talking about the death of physical media. And in a way, yes, you know, you can't go into every store and have a full selection of, of movies on disc. But if you're into uh, <laughs> you know, this kind of stuff or, you know, mm-hmm. pre-codes or uh, silent film, mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like every day we are being treated to some gem that's getting restored and released. So I just want to say, you know, what a time to be alive, you know, like we're just getting some awesome stuff. And like, you know, even Warner archive where they're, you know, things were kind of up in the air a little bit in the last couple of years, but they're still chugging along and putting stuff out. And so I love to see that these smaller labels are uh, making these films available. It's Mm -hmm. wonderful. So a treasure of riches that we've talked about today. So and uh, yeah. and I'm just looking at my stack of my 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 unwrapped stack and I'm the wheels on fire, uh, the fate of Lecon. You know, just so much that I want to see that I haven't seen yet. So I'm I'm going to get a lot of pleasure from this book for for a long time as I delve into these movies and they really are great movies. Uh, so thank you, thank you, uh, Chris and Grady. Uh, this has been a great discussion, um, listeners. Yes. Highly recommend the book. Um, it's yeah, it's 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 like a coffee table film history book, if it, that makes sense. Um, <laughs> just where to put it after the coffee table, I can't tell you there. That. <laughs> so, um, Dude, can, thank you all for having us. Yeah, yeah this, thank you. This has been awesome. Yeah, blast. Um, where, where can people find you online, or where can people find the book aside from you know everywhere? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> aside from Amazon, I should say. Um, uh, well, we just got into Barnes and Noble last week, so uh, I, I know at least one person who had their Amazon order canceled on them, and they just drove to the local Barnes and Noble and <laughs> bought it. Uh, nice. So, so yeah, so you can find us in Barnes and Noble, and the website is thesefistsbreakbricks.com. Great, that'll be on, in the show notes too, so listeners can click over. Um, are there any websites or social media that you all can be found? I can say y'all, since Grady's from the south. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, well, I, I post things on my Facebook page, but uh, we're going to uh, start updating the website and uh, I'll probably be putting things up on my Facebook page and linking to the website and also doing things on my blog, Temple of Schlock, and linking th those posts to uh, the, the These Fists Break Bricks website. Great. And Grady? Mm -hmm. uh, just GradyHendricks.com for all my nonsense. You can, all my social media <laughs> links, it's all there. So if you want to avoid me, don't go there. Wow, you just saved me a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> we we love your nonsense. So nonsense is welcome. Needs, yeah, everyone needs to to check out Grady's nonsense. Yeah, and and Jill and I are certainly not elitist. We have we like everything. So, so Jill, where can we find you online? Oh, you know, I'm here, there, everywhere. Um, so I hear uh, here on the show, obviously, and then you can find me on Twitter. Uh, yelling at mansplainers at Biscuit Kitten. <laughs> uh, so I haven't been yelled at yet, so I'm, I feel good about no, that. No, you haven't. No, yeah, you no, haven't. No, no, I welcomed the mansplaining today. I wanted I wanted to be told all I needed to know about <laughs> Kung Fu. So. Yeah, and we have a history of mansplaining, and it's all been positive. <laughs> That's right. Well, the, uh, I'm AWS505 on Twitter, uh, DSNT on Letterboxd. And you can find the show at Criterion Cast. Uh, I re recommend just uh, subscribing to the Master Feed, and that way you get this show and the others. Uh, if you want to join our Patreon, you'll get the early access, and you'll hear some interesting stuff <laughs> from uh, from our little. Uh, I, I guess you could call it a pee break today, but um, <laughs> but yeah, this was uh, enjoyable uh, having you guys. Uh, great, best of luck with the book. Hope it hope it does very Thank well, you. and uh, and yeah, had a fun time. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this cool. has been Thanks awesome.
real quick, uh, is that documentary announced yet that you listed? Uh, the Bruce Bloitation one uh, that hasn't been announced yet, but it's it's been in the works for a while. Um, okay, well, and yeah, the that, patrons just heard about it, but I, if it hasn't been announced, I don't want to. Um... Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think it's been announced. Um, but, uh, the uh, film movement is doing uh, the. The, the two Samurai Wolf movies, I'm pretty excited about those um, by Hideo Gosha, and they're also doing uh, one of his Yakuza movies. Um, but are those, th- those are really good. Are those announced? Mm-hmm. Those have been announced, yeah. Uh, okay. I saw it. They, they put up something on Facebook about it, film Great. movement. So I have to be careful there. I, I'll probably do some creative editing <laughs> for that piece. Um, although okay. patrons just <laughs> heard, uh, heard a couple secrets. Um <laughs> patrons be be good <laughs> well, well i don't think um you know the, the bruce Boitation documentary has been posted on the um michael worth has been working on that for a while oh, he great. posts yeah. about it regularly okay. on his facebook page oh great so uh yeah it's it, i i don't know what the title is so it's it's not really a secret oh great okay well in that case mm-hmm. it's in the show thank you that makes my editing <laughs> sure. easier and uh, and it like... happens michael worth has been on um our sister show um criterion reflections so um oh. sorry go ahead jill I was just going to say, like, I feel like every other week we see, you know, an article talking about the death of physical media. And in a way, yes, you know, you can't go into every store and have a full selection of of movies on disc. But if you're into uh, (laughs) this kind of stuff or, you know, Mm -hmm. pre-codes or uh, silent film, Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like. Every day we are being treated to some gem that's getting restored and released. So I just want to say, you know, what a time to be alive. You know, like we're just getting some awesome stuff. And like, you know, even Warner Archive, where they're, you know, things were kind of up in the air a little bit in the last couple of years, but they're still chugging along and putting stuff out. And so I love to see that these smaller labels are uh, making these films available. It's Mm -hmm. wonderful. So a treasure of riches that we've talked about today. So and uh, yeah. and I'm just looking at my stack of my 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 unwrapped stack and I'm the wheels on fire, uh, the fate of Lecon. You know, just so much that I want to see that I haven't seen yet. So I'm going to get a lot of pleasure from this book for for a long time as I delve into these movies and they really are great movies. Uh, so thank you, thank you, uh, Chris and Grady. Uh, this has been a great discussion, um, listeners. Yes. Highly recommend the book. Um, it's yeah, it's 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 like a coffee table film history book, if, it, if that makes sense. Um, <laughs> just where to put it after the coffee table, I can't tell you there. That. <laughs> so, um, Dude, can, thank you all for having us. Yeah, yeah this, thank you. This has been awesome. Yeah, blast. Um, where where can people find you online, or where can people find the book aside from you know everywhere? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> aside from Amazon, I should say. Um, uh, well, we just got into Barnes and Noble last week, so uh, I, I know at least one person who had their Amazon order canceled on them, and they just drove to the local Barnes and Noble and <laughs> bought it. Uh, nice. So, so yeah, so you can find us in Barnes and Noble, and the website is thesefistsbreakbricks.com. Great, that'll be on, in the show notes too, so listeners can click over. Um, are there any websites or social media that you all can be found? I can say y'all, but since Grady's from the south. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, well, I, I post things on my Facebook page, but uh, we're going to uh, start updating the website and uh, I'll probably be putting things up on my Facebook page and linking to the website and also doing things on my blog, Temple of Schlock, and linking the, those posts to uh, the, the These Fists Break Bricks website. Great. And Grady? Mm -hmm. uh, just GradyHendricks.com for all my nonsense. You can, all my social media <laughs> links, it's all there. So if you want to avoid me, don't go there. Wow, you just saved me a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> We're, we love your nonsense. So nonsense everybody is welcome. Needs, yeah, everyone needs to to check out Grady's nonsense. Yeah, and and Jill and I are certainly not elitist. We have we like everything. So, so Jill, where can we find you online? Oh, you know, I'm here, there, everywhere. Um, so I hear uh, here on the show, obviously, and then you can find me on Twitter. Uh, yelling at mansplainers at Biscuit Kitten. <laughs> uh, so I haven't been yelled at yet, so I'm, I feel good about no, that. You no, yeah. you haven't. No, you yeah. haven't. No, I welcomed the mansplaining today. I wanted I wanted to be told all I needed to know about <laughs> Kung Fu. So. Yeah, and we have a history of mansplaining, and it's all been positive. <laughs> That's right. Well, the, uh, I'm AWS505 on Twitter, uh, DSNT on Letterboxd. And you can find the show at Criterion Cast. Uh, I re recommend just uh, subscribing to the Master Feed, and that way you get this show and the others. Uh, if you want to join our Patreon, you'll get the early access, and you'll hear some interesting stuff <laughs> from uh, from our little. Uh, I, I guess you could call it a pee break today, but um, <laughs> but yeah, this was uh, enjoyable uh, having you guys. Uh, great, best of luck with the book. Uh, hope it hope it does very Thank well, you. and uh, and yeah, had a fun time. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this cool. has been Thanks awesome. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're done. <laughs> All right. We still have the Patreon recording. We're going up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so don't, oh, uh, don't say anything that will embarrass you, but, um, but yeah, it, it was fun. That was a great yeah, discussion. Yeah, this was great. My, oh, good. My... No, and I'm, thanks for doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. I think I have like 50 films on my, on my to watch list now. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> uh, it's too big. It's too big. We misled. We should have just named three movies a piece and kept it there. <laughs> no, no, no. This, you, you don't know our listeners. They, they want all of that. Yeah, they want all of it. And I think mm -hmm. they'll, I think they'll buy your book. Uh, they like to buy stuff. So they do. They love to spend money. And, um, yeah, I, uh, I was really looking forward to, I've, I had a lot of nervous energy today because I was, I wasn't sure, uh, how well I would be able to stay into the conversation because of mm. not knowing any of this stuff. So, uh, I, I think it went okay. So Jill, I think you I had, the, I think you had the best part. You ask, ask him the question because a lot of the, you know, a lot of our listeners are not going to have, um, a lot of context for this. So, um, yeah, mm. entry yeah. points are, are great. But you know what? It's funny when you mentioned the mansplaining. Um, <laughs> you know, forty years ago, a lot of the a lot of the people writing about these movies were women. I mean, yeah, the, really, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the two editors of the the editor of martial arts movies is now a Ninth Circuit judge, Sandra Siegel. Uh, oh, okay. She, yeah, she, and. Uh, um, uh, Sydney Filson was the uh, editor of Dragon Magazine. Uh, distributors. I mean, there were Love three it. or four distributors of these movies. Like Neva Love Frieden it. ran the yeah. film. She, yeah, she distributed like 200 of these movies. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and mansplaining is kind of an inside joke on the show. With us. It's, oh, yeah. it's not a, we're, we're not married. Yeah, well, and it, and I always say that too because I I love Tashira Mafuni. I mean, who doesn't? And sure. uh, so several years ago, I had just kind of started doing, you know, I'll post a picture or something of Mafuni on Monday. It's Mafuni mm-hmm. Mondays, mm-hmm. and you know, I just get these guys out of you know coming out of the woodwork that just decide to tell me. <laughs> all the very basic things about Tashur Mafuni as if I, I didn't didn't know them already. So, uh, you know. well, yeah, and the, I gotta say one of the one yeah. of the things that we left so much out of the book, and I wish you guys at some point had said because the thing Chris and I keep trying to shoehorn into every conversation mm. is that that we had to cut from the book mostly is if you guys were like, so is there any way that Kung Fu movies connect with lesbian pornographers? We would have been able to talk for a while. <laughs> well, I, I did, that, that's very specific. We, really, we want their story Damn told. It. You know, mm-hmm. every show I say, you know, Lesb- what do the lesbian pornographers <laughs> think about this? And this time I just thought, well, maybe I won't ask that question. I'm going to yeah. put it on and every actually, outline from here on forward. Damn it. And actually, we should say radical feminist lesbian pornographers. because they even ran, better. Like, yeah, they were like going all in running a female only movie theater in L.A. Really? Wow. Only showed movies by female filmmakers. Um and so by the way, we're we're still school. recording for the patrons, and um, so they're no. they're hearing this. So they're um, getting oh, great. Cool. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Some bonus content. So, so was it just LA? Yeah, it was just LA. Well, you yeah. know, so they were basically making softcore porn, right, Chris? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they wound up giving it up because they were like, we'd have the FBI coming in, why wearing wires <laughs> with these bags of cash, trying to get us to make hardcore porn so they could bust us. And they're like, we always could identify them because they were the people offering way too much money for us to make a movie. <laughs> and they were a couple, from what we can tell, and. They got out of porn and ran, they took over a porn theater and turned it into this women's space. And they would show like classic movies with Mae West and Sir Barbara yeah. Stanwyck, but they would only also do female filmmakers. They had a distribution company doing only the work of female filmmakers. And then they started doing Kung Fu movies, really cheap ones, but distributing Kung Fu. Wow. And their journey wound up taking them into children's home video, ultimately. Oh, Isn't that where they wound up, Chris? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the late 80s. Yeah. Wow. That's, wow. that's quite but an arc. <laughs> Marsha Silent and Joan DeAnda, man, they, I, want, I want a movie about them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't so see why that was cut out. That's your next project. <laughs> I love it. Oh my God! Okay, wow. That, yeah, that that uh, was interesting. So, so they wouldn't let you uh, keep that in. Oh well, no, they're well, it was in the more, book. Yeah, they're in the book. Yeah, but it's like we we really should have done more about them. Mm. Um, tough to find a lot of information, and then it's mm-hmm. like the kung fu movies they distributed were pretty bottom of the barrel. So it's like <laughs> eh, we could use the space for people doing more, <laughs> like more space sure. for Neva or someone who was doing more significant movies, but. They just had such a great career, you know, and like carving out this sort of feminist space in mm-hmm. the, the real cinematic gutter. You know what I mean? Like really like Well, there's damp- definitely a story there. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, yeah. I need I need I need more on this. Yeah, I think well, they're both still alive, aren't they, Chris? I think Marsha is cuz uh but I, I uh David Gregory from Severn Films uh tried to interview her for something a few years ago. Um, and she, 
she wanted to talk on the phone, but I, I don't think he could get her on camera. I don't know mm-hmm. what happened to Joan DeAnda. Yeah. Well, it sounds like we're probably not going to get a Criterion box set of their work um, <laughs> to get the full context, but you never know. I actually really, uh, when I saw that uh, Bruce PlayStation documentary, um, that um, that piqued my interest, so I'm thrilled about that but um all right well i gotta go tend to the fan so great great having you thanks for this was wonderful giving us your time yeah it was a blast no thanks for having us enjoy your long good friday man oh no i'm I'm watching um uh roger rabbit (laughs) roger rabbit (laughs) but but i could watch long good friday uh just double feature that i I think i watched it like four times in a row (laughs) i mean does that movie not have the greatest ending ever god one of the greatest that score is such an earworm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know and what, Jill? Helen Mirren. Wow. Yeah. 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 Oh, she's great. I'm, great character. Just not just the performance, but uh, you know, not fleshed out character. Um, Andrea didn't like it. Mm, that's no. too bad. More yeah. for me. Yeah. More for you. All right. Good night, All right, Jill. guys. Good night, Jill. Good night, yep. y'all. Good night, patrons. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>